We've all had our pandemic release valves over the last year, and for millions of Californians, state parks have served as that valve. 280 of them, in fact, one of the biggest park systems in the country. As we all head outdoors for the summer, we'll talk with the man who heads up that system. And we'll hear how the recovery is going at Big Basin, the state's oldest park that burned to the ground last year. Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and Cap Radio. I'm Nigel Duara in Los Angeles. And I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. So, Nigel, what piqued your interest in California politics this week? Honestly, one week after Newsom's May budget proposal. Can we please just not with politics for one week? I am too excited about the smell of barbecue in the air and the unofficial start of summer. Well, fine. Not me, though. I was riveted by chatter that California Democrats might want to push the recall election sooner. And also this report from the Legislative Analyst's Office that kind of tisked tis Governor Newsom's big budget spending ideas. Don't you? Oh, no. I'm just kidding, though. They are interesting. But, you know, like you, I'm finding it hard to think about anything else this week but getting out and about and celebrating nature in her full spring and summer glory. Uh Aha, even you think politics is boring now. (laughs) Hey, but I have an idea. How about we spend the rest of the show talking about the outdoors? What if we talk about state parks? Okay, I'm in. And you know, it's not like the California park system doesn't have to deal with politics. It's a state agency. It's got budget line items. So we'll talk about that stuff in a bit. But first, Nigel, are you a state parks fan? I am a state park fan. I'm a national park fan. Um, what I really love is the beach parks in L.A. You can go down to Leo Carrillo uh, Park right there and see the water. You can go to Malibu and yeah, it's a little burned down, but it still looks great. What about you, Nicole? What are your favorites? What's the last one you went to? Well, it's funny you should ask because just a couple weeks ago, I wandered over to Folsom Lake State Recreation Area for some R&R. And suffice it to say, I was not the only one with that idea. So Folsom Lake is this huge reservoir just about half an hour from Sacramento. Lots of boaters. There are also a ton of trails all around the lake, and it's right on the edge of the city and suburbs. So as you drive into the park, it really feels like you're escaping from all of that. Like one minute, there are houses, there's a Dutch Bros, and the next, you're alone and you're driving through the woods. And this year, there was a wildflower super bloom, just gorgeous fields of purple flowers. I went to check it out on a Friday, and it was busy. Afternoon. The parking lot was pretty crowded. That's where I met Carrie Kendall. She lives in Sacramento and says that she actually hasn't been getting out as much this year because the parks have been limited. But normally she's a regular at Folsom Lake and she really likes to jet ski. Bring the family out, the kids, and uh, we have a two, three-seaters and it can pull water skiers behind them and also, wow, a big raft. So we can put the grandkids on it and let them trail behind. It's great, especially during the week when there's hard to be out here. Early in the morning, the the uh, water is smooth and it's warm and it's crisp and it's gorgeous. Carrie told me her favorite state park, though, is Russian Gulch in Mendocino County. She says it used to be one of those hidden gems, but it's getting busier and busier, especially with the pandemic. And she's been camping there since she was three years old, and she still makes it a tradition to go with her family every year. I tell you what, um, anything along 
the coast. Mendocino, uh, Fort Bragg, and Crescent City is amazing. Jedediah Park, where Star Wars was filmed. It's um, like if you were shrunk to a little tiny person and you're back into these huge trees and these huge mushrooms hanging off the trees and the waterfall. The town is amazing on top of it. The food, just the community. It's a little little gem itself. That's kind of what's so cool about visiting different state parks, though. It's not just camping and hiking. It's seeing, visiting, eating and drinking in the little towns all around them. Yeah, those cute little towns around the parks. And they probably took a pretty hard hit during the pandemic economically, unless folks are still able to get out and about. Well, yeah, I met a guy pretty much just like that. Reese Alvarado lives in San Francisco, but he and his travel companion drove up to see the Super Bloom after they saw photos of it in the San Francisco Chronicle, and they made a whole trip of it. They stayed in Sacramento for the night, and then they went up to Reno and Lake Tahoe. It's definitely been something we've been wanting to do for a while. You know, with the, uh, I guess, the the free time we have on our hands, you know, uh, I would I would actually contribute, to, you know, some of that free time to COVID. We are out at, and about at uh, some of these parks, just uh, cruising around and seeing the state. Yeah, so you've been getting out a lot more the last year. I, w- I would definitely say so. I would definitely say so. You know, with people being afraid of flying and, you know, caution around flying, I think that it's as spurred in us, at least, uh, um, a a want to see the state, go on more road trips. I think we've uh, been able to explore more of this state. I personally have been able to explore more of this state in the last year than I have in the 10 or 15 years that I've been been here. Seen more of the state in the last year than the 15 years he's lived here before. I guess there are some upsides to being bored in the house. No doubt, and it seems like more people are doing that which does mean more people out and about. Christy Morioka, who lives in Sacramento, sent us this. On Mother's Day, we took a mini hike to see the super bloom of lupines with the rest of Sacramento. The super bloom had mostly dried up, but we had fun looking at all of the people dressed up, not ready for hiking, in high heels and dresses, not expecting to have to walk far from their parking spot. We are used to having the whole parking lot to ourselves when we go hiking at Folsom Lake. It was comical to see people jockeying for parking spaces and lining up in neat rows. Some people had the funniest expressions of forced family bonding time on their faces. We missed the super bloom, but we got to say hi to lots of friendly people enjoying our great state park. That sounds like a fun day, stay off the dang flowers. You know, Nicole, we alluded earlier to the fact that state parks cost money. They are, as you said, a line item in the state budget. I wonder, how tough a battle is it going to be to go up against budgets for, I don't know, COVID relief, rental relief, housing, wildfire recovery, highways, bridges, infrastructure, on and on. There's so many priorities. How are they going to balance this? Well, there is a huge surplus this year. So Newsom wants to toss the park system some money to rebuild facilities damaged by wildfires and catch up on other maintenance projects. You know, but the thing about state parks is that people love them. So it's not a super hard sell. We'll take a quick break now, kind of like when you do when you've been out in the sun too long at a state park. Yeah, I want a Choco Taco. (laughs) I love Choco Tacos. When we come back, a conversation with Armando Quintero, the head of California State Park System. And we'll get an update on the heartbreak at Big Basin, where fire reduced colossal California redwoods to ash last August. 
Stay tuned for more California State of Mind. It's California State of Mind from CAP Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Nigel Duara. And as we mark the unofficial start of summer, we're dedicating this whole show to California State Parks. Look, if that isn't a marker of our state of mind right now, I don't know what would be. Yeah, these parks really are a gift. And when we lose one, the grief can be profound. And Nigel, I think we all felt a pit in our collective stomachs when that happened last August with the CZU Lightning Complex fire roaring through Big Basin Redwood State Park, destroying nearly everything in its path. Yeah, 18,000 acres of these beautiful redwoods towering over California's oldest state park from 1902, just gone. And only a few people have been allowed back in to see the destruction. Among them was Cal Matters Julie Cart. We asked her to share what she witnessed. It was catastrophic and very sobering to see California's oldest state park, just this black landscape charring that goes hundreds of feet in the air. And these are the tallest plants in the world. And there's no undergrowth. 97% of the park was destroyed in one day by fire. Fire has ripped through Big Basin Redwood State Park, charring trees and destroying nearly every building there. That includes the historic... Now to the damage from the CCU Lightning Complex fire, significant at Big Basin Redwood State Park. Historic buildings... Park rangers say this huge redwood may have had its top blown off from the intense heat of the fire. Historic structures also lost in the blaze, including park headquarters, the camp store, and lodge. silent places, and that's why people seek them out. You hear wind through a tree, there's the gurgling of water and bird sounds and things like that. But this has been silenced. It's not a natural silence, which is recuperative and something you seek out. This is an absence, and that's what you see, literally, you know, that's what the eye sees. And then you had that extra silence. It's just profound and it lets you know the extent of the damage. The repair list at Big Basin is unimaginably long. Among the things that have to be fixed or rebuilt entirely, six vehicle bridges, 46 pedestrian bridges, 85 miles of trail, 53 miles of road, 100 structures, and in that group, the park headquarters, the museum, homes for rangers, signs and fences, and all the things that are critical to the operation of a park. This system is quite resilient. Uh, there's already regrowth, so you have these black, black trees and then fuzzy little vivid green sprouts shooting up at the bottom. The water's running uh, because all of the waterways in the park were clogged with both sediment and rocks rushing down because there was nothing to hold them in, but also dead trees. And so it's coming back.
it's understandable that everyone wants to get back in this park. It's beloved, it's next to a huge population mass in the Bay Area that relies on it for solace and, and relief from the city, but it's not safe, it's not ready. Why is it not safe? Some trees are dead and they don't know it. They're standing there and they're gonna collapse at any time. You do not want a 200 foot tree to fall even on your car. It, it, it destroyed buildings, some of these trees, so it's not safe. There are no facilities, there's no toilet facilities, there's no water, there's no electricity. The road system, even as minimal as it was, is not existing, there's no trails. Right now, there's, there's a large and very complex assessment underway. So maybe by the end of the summer, there will be some decision about, okay, here is the extent of the damage, which isn't even known yet. I don't think anyone should have an expectation that they are gonna go back to that park this summer. There are some really profound decisions being made right now that will, the public will be part of about how to rebuild. The state has never lost an entire park like this, ever. Well, the man who's going to oversee this effort at Big Basin, and in fact oversee the entire state park system, has only been on the job for less than a year. Armando Quintero got the shoulder tap from Governor Newsom smack in the middle of the pandemic and the catastrophic wildfires that rampaged across the state at the end of last summer. Quintero worked for the National Park Service for more than 20 years, including as a park ranger at Point Reyes, Sequoia, and John Muir. Most recently, he headed up the Sierra Nevada Research Institute at UC Merced. And he joins us now. Armando, welcome to California State of Mind. Thank you so much, Nicole. So my first question for you is actually, what is your favorite state park and why? <laughs> um, well, it depends on where I am and the time of year, to be honest. You know, California is the most stunning array of natural history and human culture, you know. And so depending on where you are at one time of year, you could be in an extraordinary coastal environment and there's a Native American celebration going on. You could be down in the desert during a super bloom when the world just looks like it's been painted by the gods, you know, and I'm always looking to see what the world can show us and teach us. And when I say that, I also mean the people of the world, the places and the people. So a few weeks ago, I was at Point Lobos and it was just spectacular, Point Lobos State Park. And right now there were harbor seals with their pups in turquoise water, playing and being as affectionate as you've ever seen mammals be with each other. Just amazing. Well, I wish we could spend this whole interview talking about our favorite outdoor places, but unfortunately there's a pandemic and wildfires and all kinds of things to talk about. So I wanted to ask you about Big Basin State Park because it was devastated in wildfires last year. Just wondering if you could paint us a picture uh, like you just did about some other parks about what's going on there now and what it will cost to rebuild that and how long it will take. Well, Big Basin, as you know, or many of your listeners probably know, it's the first state park that was established in California, set aside as a state park in California, and that was in 1902. And I think what's interesting is that since that park was created, we as a culture 
have assigned sort of traditions on how we manage these places. And I think one of the things that these wildfire climate change scenarios have shown us is that we actually have to do things differently. I was there on September 1st, which was my first day on the job. And looking at all of that, um, and actually our governor asked me, what's your vision for state parks in the middle of that study? And what I said was, we now have to apply the best science. We need to be thinking about climate change. We now have an opportunity to rethink our traditions around parks, how we manage these places, how we think about sustainability, utilities, trails, resources, cultural resources, natural resources. So in a way, we get to rethink the original state park in terms of how we can manage that park for a healthy future a century from now. That's the setting. It's gonna cost, right now, our estimate is gonna be about $217 million. So we're rethinking, where do we put the facilities? Where do we put the buildings? We shouldn't put them in the middle of a precious and fragile ecosystem. We should probably put it on the edge. How long is it gonna take? I think that's a phased answer. There's gonna be some things that'll be fairly quick, like rebuilding bridges and fixing the roads. Um, I can tell you that already the forest is teaching us a few things and that these giant trees that I saw on September 1st that were burned have already started to sprout new branches from the base, from their branches, from their trunks. And so these trees are already demonstrating their resiliency. So you obviously cannot plan for devastating wildfires. Um, these parks are wild places, though, so there is a risk, especially as the planet continues to warm. It seems like every year we have something record-breaking, whether it's fire or drought or sea level rise. How do you plan for those kinds of unplannable disasters when you're overseeing these beautiful outdoor spaces? Well, here's an interesting language evolution. We used to think about wildfire in terms of wildfire prevention. Now, what we're talking about is wildfire resilience. How do you work with it? How do you plan for wildfire? How do you manage those forests? For a number of years now, State Parks has been doing watershed and forest management to the tune of about two to 4,000 acres a year, which isn't a lot, but we were thinning um, we were thinning out the forest, we were doing control burns and making it so that the fuels weren't um, so dense that it would create a catastrophic environment for fires. And what's happened is that the governor is supporting us in a wildfire and forest resilience action plan. State Parks just received $15 million to kick off that plan. And our intent is to move to a point where we are treating 25,000 acres a year in state parklands. And there's a statewide effort along those lines. And so what that means is going in with scientists and assessing the forest and looking at what is the work that we can do in terms of prioritizing fuel reduction, putting in control burns. And as you know, with the catastrophic fires of this year, there were weeks when the air quality was extremely dangerous. And so what I hope is that as, as a statewide community, we recognize the value of controlled fires where there will be some effect on air quality, but it's gonna prevent the disastrous and even life-threatening air quality if we do it um, carefully. It's a matter of going in and assessing things like soil moisture, fuel moisture, and really understanding 
um, the nature of the vegetation and how we can work with that and also prevent as much as we can damage to human infrastructure and also deadly impacts on natural infrastructure. On top of all of this, we have a pandemic, uh, which forced people outside. And we're seeing many reports that parks are being overrun and understaffed. How are you coping with that issue? Well, thinking about this pandemic, as I have pondered this in this role, I realized that all of us were basically forced into the lifeboats, which were our homes and our tiny communities during this pandemic. People have been hungry to get out onto these islands, onto these oases. And that's what parks clearly have become. I think of parks as in this last year being now recognized as essential landscapes and essential waterscapes. We are seeing far more people um, visiting these parks than we have in the past. The numbers are not clear, so it's somewhat anecdotal, but what a lot of park managers are saying these days is today, weekdays in parks are like what weekends used to be, and weekends in parks are like holidays. I go to parks when I'm not working. I, that's it's sort of my resiliency world. And it's true. Um, there are people everywhere and they're doing everything. They're mountain biking, they're hiking, they're swimming with their family at the beaches. Um, and so there's a real opportunity, I think, to uh, work with this new constituency, if you will, about how do we work together to take care of these parklands and how we manage these parks and also recognize the importance of these parks because there's a wonderful movement that started in the San Francisco Bay Area which is called Healthy Parks, Healthy People. And the idea being that it would be great and actually in some places this is already happening where physicians rather than prescribing blood pressure medicine they're saying you need to go hiking in open space four hours a week. Here's your prescription, right? And I think in this pandemic parks have been revealed to us as places where people go for physical health, mental health, social connection, and I might even say spiritual health. And those are the things that we've needed most in this pandemic. And so we need to take care of these places because they take care of us, Mm. I think. Was there a moment during the pandemic when you realized, you know, hey, we need to expand outdoor opportunities based on the increased numbers of people using the outdoors. That actually has been a lifelong interest of mine. Friends have heard me tell this story. As a kid, my parents didn't go to parks. Um, but I, as a kid, I was just in, just, you know, in, um, enamored of National Geographic. And I can tell you that the first bird that I recognized that I identified on my own was a killdeer, and it was at a wastewater treatment plant pond. That was my entree to nature. And honestly, that was a door that opened the world of nature to me. And so I think that there are a couple ways that we can connect um, humanity more completely with the natural world. And part of that is it is where we live. You know, um, that natural world is around us. So I do think absolutely parks need to be made more accessible and we are working diligently on that in state parks. Rather than there being a moment when I realize it, I think that there are continuing moments of revelation is what I would say and opportunities. Why do you think the outdoors matters to so many Californians from your neighborhood park to the biggest and grandest state and national parks? 
Well, I like to think of the word recreation as recreation. You know, it is where we discover that we can throw a baseball. It's where we picnic with our families. It's where we celebrate birthdays. It's also places where we have memorial services. Parks are places where we have citizenship swearing in ceremonies. Parks remind us, I think, of where we live. We live in this extraordinary place on this extraordinary planet. I would love to see an application where a child can enter their address and then what appears on the screen is a compass rose, you know, that star in the middle of a camp compass. But what that compass shows them is where their house is in relation to parks, whether it's community parks, state parks, regional parks, national parks. And for them to have that, that compass in their hands, to me says, hey, here's, here's your world. Armando Quintero, the director of California Department of Parks and Recreation, thank you so much for being with us. My honor, Nicole. Thank you for what you do. Okay, Nicole. So I'd say Mr. Quintero has issued a challenge to all the app developers in the entire Silicon Valley or whoever's left there. So nature nerds, we are calling all digital nerds. It's such a good idea and not just for kids. Like, I would use that. And that's California State of Mind for this week. Next time, we'll talk with former Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs, one of the original proponents of universal basic income, about his time in politics, the future of UBI, and more. Thank you for joining us. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Tess Vigland and produced by Jen Picard. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Farm. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Mellifera Ligustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company and from Sutter Health, 